Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning. So, last few weeks at Kingsway, we've been going through a series in Luke's Gospel about meals with Jesus. Now that meals with other people are no longer illegal, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to recap and look at some meals with Jesus. Actually, as we've gone through, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, because meals with Jesus are often pretty awkward affairs where he says some pretty unexpected things. Um, but, and tonight, uh, well, this morning, is no exception. So, We're back in the same dinner that we've been at for the last couple of weeks in Luke's Gospel, so we need to cast our minds back a couple of thousand years, uh, and we're at at a Sabbath feast, kind of like a Sunday lunch, um, a posh Sunday lunch, maybe, somewhere in ancient Palestine, Um, and the host of our feast is a prominent and well-respected religious leader, uh, a pillar of the community. I would say the Andy Brownlee of his day, but that would be offensive as we go on, so (laughs) I'm not going to say that. Um, most of the other guests are his chums from the synagogue, I think, and they are enjoying the spread that he's put on. We're not talking cucumber sandwiches here. We're talking tempura battered tiger prawns with a homemade sweet chili dipping sauce. Something like that. I don't think that's actually kosher, so probably not that. But you can imagine everybody congratulating the host of this Sunday lunch on the quality of the whole affair. And the guest of honour this evening is Jesus of Nazareth. Or at least, maybe not the guest of honour, he's more like the guest of curiosity. If this was come dine with me, Jesus would be kind of like the entertainment, you know, the random belly dancer they draw in at the, pull in at the end for no apparent reason. But the Pharisees, they, they don't quite know what to make of Jesus, so they're, they're kind of checking him out, listening to what he says, finding out if he's legit, and we're told they're watching him closely at this dinner. But it turns out that that's not all that's going on here because as the evening draws on it becomes pretty apparent that Jesus has been watching everyone else as well. Um, They think they're watching him but really it's him that's watching them. So if you've got a Bible with you um, do turn to Luke chapter 14 Um, and if you don't the words will start appearing here anyway. Um, So we'll start at verse 12. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. 
The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out, quickly, into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, presumably sometime later, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. For I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So I've been doing a little bit of research and according to Jacqueline Whitmore, who's the author of Business Class, Etiquette Essentials for Success at Work, According to her, much work goes into hosting a dinner party, and that's why as guests we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves in a polite manner. Following basic rules of etiquette as a dinner party guest increases your chances of being invited back. Now, I don't think Jesus has read business class etiquette essentials for success at work. I mean, I joke, but but look... All the guests have been complimenting their host on the, the foyer of poached quail or whatever it is they had for lunch and have been praising his generosity and his public spiritedness. But yet here's Jesus, and in verse 12, he basically has a go at his host to his face, which I guess is more polite than having a go at him behind his back, but it's still rude. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. I imagine when Jesus said this, the whole room fell into a sort of bemused silence. I mean, maybe you're a bit bemused right now, because even if you believe it's generally a good thing to serve the poor and the needy, well, it still seems a little bit strong, doesn't it? Some of you have definitely got your relatives around and are going to cook for them even today <laughs> don't don't send them away though <laughs> just just wait <laughs> I, it, it, I don't think jesus is telling us we can't have our family around and i don't think he's telling us we can't have our friends around i think the clue to why he's saying uh th- these words in such a strong way is in verse 13 um, and you've got to consider who he's talking to in verse 13 when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled the lame and the blind And you will be blessed. Because I think the host of this dinner thought he was blessed already. I think everyone at this party was telling him he was great. He was welcoming. He was generous. And he'd started to believe his own hype. Secretly, when he looked at himself, he thought, you know what? I am great. I am welcoming. I am generous. He would take a, take a little photo of the gathering, pop it on Instagram, and say, I am hashtag blessed. In, in the 2014 hit, 24 Karat Magic, Bruno Mars sings about how his money, his looks, and his power make him hashtag blessed. And when Jesus looks at this Pharisee, well, I think you can, you can swap out the bling, you can swap out the bravado, and swap in piety and performative prayerfulness. But I think that smug look and that self-satisfied smile are the same. And so here's the first point I want us to see this morning. Jesus zeroes in on our sin and pride. And that's pretty uncomfortable. I'm going to take the liberty of um, quoting C.S. Lewis at length now. 
Um, I was rereading bits of Mere Christianity uh, while on a train last week. I was at my parents' house a few weeks ago, and you know how Christian couples often merge bookshelves and end up with two copies of lots and lots of C.S. Lewis's books? They actually had three copies of Mere Christianity, so at that point I thought, I don't know, don't know how you acquired three copies, but I'm going to take one. Um, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's a fantastic introduction to what Jesus is all about. Um, I only read it a couple of years ago um, and just found it fascinating, really clarifying. So many things make more sense once you've, once you've read it. And um, one of the chapters is called The Great Sin. Uh, and I think that chapter gets right to the heart of what's going on at this dinner party. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, don't worry. <laughs> so, mere Christianity. I now come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no one in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I've heard people admit that they're bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their head about girls or drink, or even that they're cowards. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this particular vice. And at the same time, I very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Does this seem too exaggerated? If so, think it over. If you want to ask yourself how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me? or refuse to take any notice of me, or patronise me, or show off. He carries on, but let's not now. Um, I've got the book, borrow it. Um, Back to the dinner party in Palestine. I think when the guests looked at their hosts, who they saw was probably the most spiritual man in the room, the most respected man in the room. But when Jesus looks at him, he sees somebody who's in serious danger. That Bruno Mars smile that he's got, shows him eaten up with prideful self-regard that has him on a path that is directly opposed to God's love and God's purposes for him. The pride is gangrene in his heart and gangrene spreads quickly and kills fast. If you tell Joe you've got gangrene in your little finger, she will chop off your hand, maybe even your whole arm. I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, She might take you to hospital first and get them to do it. But that's why Jesus attacks this man's pride so aggressively. It might make the evening pretty uncomfortable, but if it saves this man's life, well, it's been worth it. So what's Jesus saying to this host? I think to paraphrase, I know you think of yourself as a generous sort of guy, selfish, a giver. You pride yourself on it. But honestly, what you're doing here at dinner today This doesn't count as generosity. It's not generosity. You've spent plenty of money on this meal and it's money that you didn't need to spend, but you've not given it away. I mean, look at at Derek in the corner. He's had you over as many times as you've been over. 
you're not being generous to him, you're just kind of cooking for each other. That's different. And, and Jim in the corner, well, it's election season in the synagogue coming up soon, and you need to count on his vote. What about me? I may not be able to cook for you, but I'm just here to entertain your friends. If you genuinely want to be generous, like for real, there are plenty of people in this town who have absolutely nothing to offer you and won't make good guests. There are beggars and cripples all over the place and they can't have you around in return. We'll never pay you back. There are tax collectors and they'll wreck your reputation if you have them around. There are prostitutes who you don't even acknowledge. You see them as completely beneath your dignity. If you feed these people, it, it might not give you warm, fuzzy feelings. It might not give anything to you at all, and they might not thank you. But if you go and if you feed them, that'll be real generosity. As I've been preparing this preach and reading C.S. Lewis and listening to Phil preach last week, which was a pretty similar topic, it's reminded me of times that God has made me uncomfortable by making me aware of my own pride. So... One example, um, a couple of years ago, we were living in Malawi um, and the woman at church who was organising the music rotor, um, she asked if I would help out playing keyboard. She'd got wind that I used to play piano and they needed somebody else to cover keyboard on Sunday mornings. I'd never played in church before, uh, had never really played in a band and hadn't really touched a piano in about eight years. But I like music, I like making music with other people and I like helping out. So I was like, sure, why not? I said, if I could come over and practice, remember how to play, then yeah, why not? And I spent a lot of time over the next couple of weeks around in her front room practicing on her piano and starting to play on Sunday mornings. And it was fun getting back into playing. But then there was one day, I think it was maybe a Saturday evening uh, before church on Sunday, and I was sitting on the piano going over one particular bit over and over and over and over and again. And then I had a realisation and it kind of hit me like an arrow. And the realisation was that the reason I'd spent so much time, energy and effort practising and practising and practising and practising was basically just because I wanted to be good. I wanted to perform well. And there are great reasons for leading worship. We want to help people in church worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We want to help people feel his presence. We want people to know his love. That's why... That's why we do it. But if I was brutally honest with myself, I realised I just didn't care. As long as I looked good at about 11.30 on a Sunday morning once the service was finished, that was the reason I was practising. That's the reason I was working hard at it. I, yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable as a realisation, but I'm grateful to God for it because if I'm never made aware of my own pride, well, there's very little I can do about it. Or there's very little God can do about it, perhaps to put it better. There was a more recent example as well caused by the same thing, me wanting to be good at things. Um, I've never painted skirting boards before, but had to do it a few weeks ago. Um, and so if I'm going to paint skirting boards myself, then I want them to be very, very excellently painted, but I've never done it before. Uh, so the temptation that I face and the trap that I fall into again and again and again with anything like this really is to spend hours on the internet hours looking at the chemistry of undercoats and overcoats shopping for the perfect product on Wix and B&Q and Screwfix reading decorators forums and reviews and trying to train myself to become an expert in the art 
of painting skirting boards so that the job that I do at the end is perfect. But, you know, even as I'm saying this, it just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> like, skirting boards don't matter. They're not important. Have you ever been around somebody's house and gone, ooh, nice skirting boards? <laughs> yes, actually. Yeah. Andy has, okay. Well, if you're around my spare room, do, do compliment me on the skirting boards. Thanks. Um, like, all the effort that I went into was just to complete. It was, it was a waste of time and energy and stress. Um, I had better things to be doing or thinking about. Like, pride, my pride is robbing me, really, right now. So here's the uncomfortable question for every one of us uh, this morning. Where might you be growing proud where is your pride robbing you of real life, of life to the full, of the kind of life that Jesus promises? And will you repent? Let's get back to the dinner party. We're not even halfway through. Uh, we are more than halfway through the preach. Just <laughs> um, It turns out that the, the, the host isn't the only proud person uh, in the room that Jesus wants to expose. Um, I'm going to read the parable again, but I think the key to understanding this parable that Jesus tells afterwards is the man hosting the banquet, he represents God. Uh, the banquet itself is the famous feast in the kingdom of God that the Jews are looking forward to. The people on the original guest list, they're the Jews, um, and particularly the Pharisees, the people in the room. The poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, well, they represent a, the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, but also the tax collectors and the Pharisees, the people that the Pharisees, uh, sorry, the tax collectors and the um, prostitutes and, you know, the sinners, uh, the people that the Pharisees look down on. Um, and the people on the roads and the country lanes. Well, if you're not Jewish and you're here this morning, that's how you fit into this story. Uh, and as I read it again, just think, where does Jesus fit into this story? And... Let's read the parable. So verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Sir, the servant said, what you, what you said has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So just like the host of this party had this prideful sense of being the good guy, the Jews were also in serious danger. God has been preparing an almighty party, a huge blowout celebration for over a thousand years now. Jesus has come, the preparations are made, the party is finally ready, and the invitation has gone out. But the Jews, the guests of honour, they are one by one, turning down the invitation. Their excuses are lame and self-centred. 
they're not particularly important, but test driving some new oxen is not a great excuse. They've all forgotten about the party, is what it boils down to. They've all made other plans. And of course, in forgetting about the party, well, they've forgotten about the host. They've forgotten about the guy throwing the party completely. And that's really the heart of the problem. And I think we've got to be clear about passages like this because it's easy in 2000 AD to go, oh, it's about the Pharisees back then. But I think the, da- the danger Jesus is warning us about is not just a danger for those Pharisees back then. It's a danger for us as Christians now just as much because we can go to church on Sunday. We can give away 10% of our income to Christian causes. We can serve on as many rotors as time allows. We can lead worship. We can lead Bible studies. We can preach. Uh, we can still be just like those Pharisees. We can forget about the host. We can forget about the guy throwing the party. And we can turn him down. And look at the consequences in verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's a tragedy. So when God makes us uncomfortable, when he points out our pride and our self-conceit, then let's, let's see that as a good thing. Because he's doing it because he wants us to remember that there's a party to go to. He wants us to remember that there is a banquet, a feast, and he wants us to be there. Maybe you've been listening going, okay, all right, maybe I do have a bit of a pride problem, but what can I do about it? Well, the one thing you can't do is try harder to be less proud, because that's not a thing, it doesn't work. But did you notice in the parable that Jesus told, where Jesus himself fits into the story? Uh, Because I think it's quite easy to miss. Jesus, Jesus is the perfect model of everything it means to be human. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And in this story, he's, he's the servant, isn't he? He's the one who goes out, does what the master tells him, reports back, sends messages, does the toing and froing, does the dirty work, covers the hard yards. Uh, he's the pinnacle of humanity. But in this story... Unless you're reading it closely, you don't even notice he's there. And I think the fact that Jesus is happy to tell this story where he has such a minor role is very telling. Because humility, the antidote to pride, it's not about thinking less of yourself. Because that would be self-loathing and that's just as unhealthy as self-conceit. Humility is about thinking about yourself less. That would be a topic for a sermon and maybe even a book in its own right. But um, one thing that Jesus says, he says in Matthew 22, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think if we're taking that seriously and we're really doing that, we're loving the Lord our God and we're loving our neighbour well we'll naturally think of ourselves less, we just won't have time, (laughs) just practically Um, and so that will make us more humble Um, so the solution is, is to follow Jesus and to copy his example in conclusion 
let's not miss as well that Jesus is saying there is a feast. It is coming. Feasts are great. I don't think we've had nearly enough feasts in the last 18 months. I think that's a fairly uncontroversial opinion. Um, I don't know what brings back memory of feasting to you when you think of a feast or a banquet. Is it, is it Christmas dinner with uh, turkey, family and pigs in blankets? Is it a birthday party? I can remember my, my 18th, which had fireworks and a bonfire because I'm a November baby and table tennis and football in the dark. Uh, maybe it's a picnic enjoying summer sun um, with friends by a river. Home-cooked steak with a loved one. Somebody's wedding, your wedding maybe. Feasts are great. And God loves feasts and Jesus loves feasts. He's very much pro-party. Uh, so much so that over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, when Jesus wants to tell of the life that he promises and say what it's like, he uses this picture of a banquet, a feast, a party. And as this parable makes absolutely clear, we are all invited to join Jesus in the life everlasting. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. Whosoever. God's house has many rooms and he wants them all to be full. All you have to do is set aside your pride, realise there's nothing that you can do to deserve your invitation and then RSVP. Maybe that's not something you've done yet. Maybe you're still going your own way. Well, please listen to Jesus' warning. He says, if you follow that path, there's no food at the end. There's just hunger and loneliness. But if you come, if you follow him, there's feasts, there's company, there's celebration. So join. It'll be the best decision you ever make.